Yeah. 
here this morning. Glad you've chosen to join us for worship. We've got a special opportunity again this morning to join together for baby dedication. Ask for the Morgans to come to the platform wherever you are all gathered. There they are coming to the platform. Scripture is clear that children are a heritage from the Lord. It's the greatest treasure that we'll carry. Is the investment in the next generation that are part of our church families. And it's our job to make sure that the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ that we hold so dear gets transferred to the next generation. Oh, there you are. He came up from behind me. He snuck up on me. <laughs> this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. The Bible tells us in... <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm distracted here. Kids distract me. So, uh, The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy... Hear, O hear, Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down and when you rise up. And we all know that it takes more than telling a child. It's living the life in front of the child. I had kind of a fun exchange um, this morning with, with Rose about the name and because uh, Nora Grace just kind of rolls together and I needed to know, is it Nora or Nora Grace? And the response I got, parents, was it depends on what's happening. <laughs> How many know that? How many, how many of you knew when it was your first name and middle name, it was they, mom and dad meant business. So Nora is a beautiful name that in its roots are in several languages. In Greek and Hebrew, it means light. In Latin, it means honorable one. And we all know that the word grace means unmerited favor. So when you think about that, the unmerited favor of God shines into our lives and turns us from depraved to honorable Amen. in the eyes of God. Amen. And that's what we'll be praying for Nora, that she will be the, the carrier of light and honor as she glorifies the Lord. So for Nora to fulfill her God-given calling, it's your privilege as parents to teach her early to fear the Lord, to watch over her education that she be not led astray, to direct her youthful mind to the scriptures, to restrain her from evil associations, and to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So with that in mind, I have some questions for you. Do you recognize this child as a gift from God and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing? 
And do you submit yourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and commit yourselves to live godly and consistent lives in front of your children? Yes, we do. And do you promise by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide Nora a Christian home of love and peace, to raise her in the truth of the word of God and to encourage her to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Congregation, if you would stand, and in a moment, your appropriate response is, we will. Please say that with conviction. But I ask you, as the body of Christ, as the family of God here at Berean, will you commit yourselves as the body of Christ to support and encourage Andy and Rose as they endeavor to fulfill their responsibilities to their daughter and to assist Nora by nurturing her growth towards spiritual maturity? We will. So then, inasmuch as you have promised before God in this congregation to dedicate your child to God and yourselves to the task of rearing her for God, I now charge you to give yourselves wholeheartedly to this sacred obligation with wisdom, patience, and devotion. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Now, this is the part that I have no control over. Will you come see me? Hmm? Of course you will. Yep. What do you think, huh? Yeah. Okay. I want you to stretch your hand this way while we pray for her and for the family. Lord, I thank you for this family that have committed their lives to serve you and raise their household in the ways of righteousness and truth. I pray for Andy and Rose that you'll give them your wisdom and your anointing and your strength and your blessing as they lead their family in ways of righteousness. And for this little life, Lord, for little Nora, I pray, God, that your anointing would abide upon her all the days of her life, that she will serve you early, that you'll protect her from the pitfalls of the enemy, and that she will walk in ways of righteousness. Let her be light and honor in her generation as she walks in your unmerited favor. And we will thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come here, little one. You're a sweetheart. You're a sweetheart. Yeah, wave at him. That's great. We have um, certificates and letters, letters for her when she's 13. And I'm sure that you'll keep track of that and have it ready at that moment. We do. Good. And a Bible to commemorate. And then some flowers that represent for us, there you go, um, the white carnation, the purity of a mother's love, the white rose, the innocence of a young life, and the red carnation represents the spiritual headship of the Father to commemorate this day. So God bless you, and we're believing for God's best and anointing on your household. Amen. God bless. Bless you. Amen. You can be seated. <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, before we watch the video, um, I want to kind of set this up a little bit and talk to you for a minute. Is that all right? Thank you. <laughs> this is Pentecost Sunday, and I didn't want to leave the flow of our series in 1 John about community. But those go together because we're going to talk about the benefit of community is seen in John chapter, 1 John chapter 4 in spiritual discernment. And if there ever was a day that the church of Jesus Christ 
needed to be full of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and discerning the signs of the times, it's the days that we live in. And this precedes my message, but I thought I'd take the opportunity to just tell you a story. We are Pentecostal. We believe in the fullness of the Spirit of God, and there are a couple things that I make abundantly clear. Every born-again believer has the Holy Spirit alive in them. There's not first-class and second-class Christians. Every born-again believer has the Spirit of God alive in them. But we believe there's an amping up of power that happens with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make you more of a Christian. It amplifies your power to share your faith. And it's easy to walk in that. I shared a little bit on Wednesday night about that, and I thought I'd take the opportunity here to do the same. I want to encourage you, if you've never spoken in tongues, to just open yourself up to that experience. I have the privilege of serving as president of the Iowa School of Ministry. And I had the opportunity to share with a young man yesterday uh, during lunch who was a long story and a lot of relationship involved, but gave his life to Jesus and had a radical change. God cleaned him up, took away his bad habits, and he said, I feel like I, I just have not been able to step into the power of the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking in tongues. Why does speaking in tongues matter? Because in scripture, you'll find it builds you up, it edifies you, you speak mysteries, you pray the will of God, it's a direct line to heaven, and that God wants it for every believer, to you, your children, and all those that are far off. So I want to tell you what I told him. If you want to experience the fullness of the gift of the Spirit, here's how it happens. Number one, you have to be a worshiper. As you enter into worship and learn how to move from singing a song to into his presence, how many know what I'm talking about? You have to learn how to step into that realm that you're experiencing his presence. There'll be a place where you're running out of English words to worship with and another language will want to flow out of your mouth. Don't make it mystical or spooky because you will do the speaking and here's what God has promised if you ask for it he'll make sure you don't get anything else so when you say well well it'll be me or what if it's the devil it won't be if you ask him he will guard over that and what comes out of your mouth next will be the Holy Spirit he's promised that it's that simple but you have to give speech to that you have to give voice to it so I said to him when do you worship and he often worships in the car he had a two-hour drive home and I said if you will begin to worship while you're driving, I'm going to prophesy over you. You'll be speaking in tongues before you get home. Just let it happen. It's not hard. Let's not make it hard. Just let it happen. And here's my number. Call me. He called me and he said, well, it took an hour. But driving along, I began to speak in another language as the Spirit gives utterance. And so I'm saying to you, during worship, you don't need me to lay hands on you. You can go wholesale right to the supplier. And he can empower you when you're praying at home. I knew a guy that, that got filled with the Spirit while he was in the shower. Um, I think he wanted us to put shower stalls in the building somewhere so he could charge up. But he learned how to carry that into real life. And I'm taking away from my preaching time. I get that. But we are Pentecostal. And speaking in tongues is available to every believer. And God wants you to have that. And the best way to get there is to be a worshiper. And be alone with God in your private closet or in corporate worship. 
And when that language that doesn't make sense to you, you're not going to hear a word and repeat it. Your intellect disconnects so that your spirit can pray. Just let that flow out of you. And I'd be glad to meet with any one of you and talk to you about that and pray with you about it. Because I'm telling you, in the times that we're living, we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit with the challenges the church is going to face. And I want to welcome you and encourage you and prod you on to enter into that gift. So this video just reminds us of the power of Pentecost. Now when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came from the sky a sound like the rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Tongues like fire appeared and were distributed to them, and one sat on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under the sky. When this sound was heard, the multitude came together and were bewildered because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. They were all amazed and were perplexed, saying one to another, What does this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and spoke out to them, You men of Judea and all you who dwell at Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to my words. For these aren't drunken as you suppose, seeing it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what has been spoken through the prophet Joel. It will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Yes, and on my servants and on my handmaidens in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. mistake that the Pentecostal experience is so that we can have cool church. The Pentecostal experience is so that men and women, boys and girls, will be reached with a message of power and redemption that will prepare them to go to heaven. We've been talking about koinonia, biblical fellowship, what it means to interact. And doesn't it feel good? I just noticed the energy in the lobby as people were greeting one another and talking. And I just feel like culturally there's a little bit of fear that's lifting. And we're um, enjoying being able to see one another. And I know there's still cautions. I get all that. But there's something about biblical fellowship of face-to-face -face interaction that does something spiritual in our lives. In 1 John chapter 1, we talked about the fullness of joy. In 1 John chapter 2, we talked about perfected love. In 1 John chapter 3, we talked about a purified hope that those all come out of and are integrated with koinonia. It's not an individual blessing as much as it is a corporate blessing. It happens when we're in community together. 
And the fourth benefit of koinonia, being together as a body, is spiritual discernment. You say, well, isn't that an individual issue? Certainly, God empowers and gives discernment of the Spirit to his believers, but I will tell you, it's a lot easier to deceive someone who stays isolated than to deceive someone who stays integrated. I'm going to say that again. It's a lot easier to deceive someone who remains isolated from the body than to deceive someone who's integrated in the body because there's the strength of the fellowship. And we, by human nature, are not always aware of the facts and realities that are right in front of our face. How many know that's true? I don't know if you know this, but... Um, Spiritual discernment becomes a, a really, really, really big issue. In 1862, just to show our nature to get caught up in uh, and not recognize the facts in front of us, in 1862, that was before I was born, the U.S. Department of Agriculture began a program of distributing free seeds to the populace. That distribution program grew through the 1800s until it became controversial. So the giving of free seeds became controversial in that it was, I'm sorry, this just makes me laugh. It was an unconstitutional overreach of a too large government and an instrument of political corruption. <laughs> giving out garden seeds. I mean, it's like, really? Well, it ended because of that in 1924, and when it was announced that they were ending the program, requests continued to come in. So they published a book intended to be humorous that said, no, 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 a thousand times no, no more seeds. And the requests went up. Because we don't want to believe sometimes what's right in front of our face. We want to believe what we want to believe. I read about a lady at Christmas time that went into Dutton's bookstore and she said, Is this Scribner's bookstore? And the clerk said, No, it's Dutton's. And she said, Well, I saw the sign that said Dutton's on the window, but I thought it might be Scribner's. I saw the sign spiritually that it might be the devil, but I just thought it was God. We have a tendency to believe what we want to believe rather than to believe what is truth right in front of us. And we're warned about that in Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Spirit speaks expressly and says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. In Matthew chapter 10 verse 16, behold I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves so be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That warning was at the beginning of the church and when a 
iniquity abounds and the love of many waxes cold, there's also going to be a rise of people who won't recognize right from wrong. And we need men and women like the children of Issachar who had an understanding of the times and knew what the people of God ought to do. That's going to require spiritual discernment. And I'm convinced that that happens in the context of community. So let's look at chapter 4. And what does the Bible tell us about spiritual discernment in the context of community? There are four things that you need to know. And I want you to grab a hold of these. Four things that you need to know to not be deceived in the world that we live in. Number one, you need to know the Spirit of God. You need to know the Spirit of God. Our superintendent was addressing the students on Friday night at ISOM. And he was talking about Pentecost Sunday. And he said, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit is the unknown member of the Trinity. We know God the Father and we know God the Son, but many Christian denominations today tend to ignore or diminish God the Holy Spirit. And we need to know God the Holy Spirit. We need to know his working. So in the first three verses, what does it tell us? It tells us to test the spirits. And in order to do that, you have to be willing to say that not every manifestation so-called of the Spirit is a manifestation of the Spirit. And believers are sometimes afraid that they're going to commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Well, you're not going to blaspheme if you're doing what Scripture says to test. The first time in my life that I had to experience that and had to sort that out. I was in high school, Assemblies of God Church, and it was a small church. And in those days, um, Sharon, you'll remember, it was whoever walked in and had a hymn book, Do You Want to Lead Singing Tonight? And we had a little band. It was like a Salvation Army band. We had a drummer with a snare. And uh, Carol played the flute, and I played the trumpet. And we had an accordion, and then the, the organ, and the piano. And it was, it was a blast. I loved it. It was fun. And... Um, I remember sitting there one Sunday night and a lady stands up and begins to give what appears to be a message in tongues. Only there's, there's anger with it. And she's looking directly at the pastor. And I'm feeling really, really uncomfortable. I'm 16 or 17. It's probably 16. I don't even know what's going on here. But I know something feels really dark. And as she begins to talk, he said, I, I told you to not do that here. I told you to be quiet. And I knew we'd had other utterance gifts. I knew he wasn't against that and told her to be quiet and sit down. Finally, she did. And we just went on with the service. I went home, terrified, went to bed. And all I can describe to you, it was a bizarre moment for me. Out in the darkness, as I closed my eyes, I saw this woman's face about the size of a quarter. And then it would jump to the size of a baseball. And then it would jump to the size of a basketball. And I would sit up awake, cold sweat. I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know what to do with that. And so that happened about three times. And I got up and my mother, who wasn't going to church at the time, I told her what was happening. And she said, well, I don't know. Let's call the pastor. Because for me, it seemed like a spiritual gift happened. Pastor rebuked it. I didn't understand it. And I'm being attacked in the night by that imagery. What do I do with that? So I said, I called the pastor and I told him what happened. He asked me one question. 
do you think what you're experiencing is from God? Clearly it's not. He said, then if it's not from God, what is the source? It's the devil. He said, good, now go to bed. <laughs> and I identified that as the devil and it dissipated. Because the devil only works if he can get you to believe him, if he can lie to you. And over the years, I've gone back to that, that when there's a physical manifestation of the spirit so-called, you have to be able to discern that. Now, I could take the rest of the morning and give you example after example after example of that, except to say that it is our job in these days and in the last times to corporately be able to discern what is of God and what isn't of God and not everything that says it is from God is from God. And if the church would grow up and own that, we could put a lot of the problems outside the door. Amen. Second Corinthians tells us this, such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. What does he look like? He looks like an angel of light, and you're going to need a word from God to be able to sort that out. I'm not trying to make you afraid. I'm just trying to illustrate to you that we need to know the Spirit of God and recognize him as such. How does that work? I cannot imagine anyone pretending to be my wife and fooling me. Can't imagine that. Now, put that alongside, how many of you have been in a place of business and saw someone you thought you knew but you weren't sure? It's like, ah, oh, do I know them? I was at Trinity Bible College and there was a guy standing there and I thought I knew him, I wasn't sure. So I walked up to him, he's new to the board, and I said, what's your name? And he said, what's your name? And I said, I asked you first. <laughs> what is this? He said, my name's Doby Weasel. I said, my name's Gary Pilcher. Oh, yes, and we recognized each other and greeted one another, um, had a great conversation. But I, but, so you might fool me. You might pretend to be someone else or pretend that you know me and, and, I, and I don't know you or however you want to play that game but you can't pretend to be my wife and fool me because I know her intimately. If, she were to, if you were to call on the phone and pretend to be her, you wouldn't fool me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why? You're not going to deceive me because I know her. So the issue isn't know the devil and study the devil and know his works. If you want to be safe in the end times, then know the spirit of God. Know how the spirit of God works, how he speaks to you, how he talks to you, how he works in your life. And John tells us that an understanding of Jesus Christ is what is essential in discerning false teachers. Look at how Jesus Christ is handled. You see, he says that if you teach that Jesus Christ didn't have a physical body, a physical form, 
that Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh, that's not from God. Why would he, is that the only test? No, you have to understand the background. False doctrine was rising up in the church. And as false doctrine rose up, it begins to affect the church if it's not dealt with. And here's the primary teaching that was rising up in the church when John wrote this epistle. It was a teaching that matter is evil and spirit is good. It gave rise to um, those who had practiced self-mutilation for the cause of heaven because the body is evil and matter is evil. And so then if Jesus had a physical body in that teaching, then Jesus was evil. So it was a spirit body, not a physical body. Is that hard to refute? Not if you're half-witted. Because when you go to scripture, what did he say to Thomas? He said, touch the wound in my hand. Put your hand in my side. He had a physical body. How does that affect the church? His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And if you don't believe he had a physical form, then by his stripes we are healed is a myth. It's not reality. And you see how with the right understanding of Christ, everything builds. With the wrong understanding of Christ, everything begins to disintegrate. And I'll suggest to you that when you look at the cults, all you've got to look at is how they handle Jesus. And when you look at how they handled Jesus, you'll know whether that is motivated by the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the devil. So the idea that Jesus is a great prophet is what? It's a lie. That means that that teaching is inspired by the devil. When we're taught that Jesus is the God of his own planet and there are spirit children being born on those planets, you look at scripture, that's absolutely not true. So it means that that whole religious system, whatever else it says and whatever else it honors about the Bible and whatever miracles are happening come from a demonic source because Jesus isn't handled rightly. How many are hearing what I'm saying? trying to say to you, let's have some discernment. Let's be wise as serpents. Let's look at what's happening around us. And it's going to increase as we come to the end, which tells me that a lot of people who are claiming to be Christ followers may not be because they're engaged in teachings contrary to scripture. The Holy Spirit will always elevate Jesus. The excesses and revivals in years gone by have happened when the Holy Spirit is elevated over Jesus. And our goal today is to proclaim to a world not that there is a Pentecostal truth, but that there is a redemptive truth. And what the world needs to know is that central to all human history is the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what we call men and women to, to a redemptive relationship with Jesus that forgives their sins sins and sends them on their way to heaven. How is Jesus handled? You say, well, that seems to be a lot if you ask me. Well, it's in that context that verse 4 appears. And again, it's another verse that gets used broad brushed and gets lost because it's withdrawn from its context. Here's what it says in verse 4. 
You, dear children, are from God and overcome them. Who? The false teachers, the false prophets, the liars, because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They're from the world. So the whole thrust is the koinonia test of discernment. Those who are in the body of Christ respond to the teaching of the apostles. They understand the authority structure of the body of Christ in Scripture and understand that the Spirit of God alive in us is greater than the spirit of the devil out in the world. So we need to know. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We need to know the Spirit of God. We need to know him. That's why during worship, what can you do? You can get to know the Spirit of God. When you're out driving in this world system, you can get to know the Spirit of God when he prompts you and speaks to you. We need to learn who the Spirit of God is and how he moves through the body of Christ. Number two, you need to know the love of God. Verses 7 to 12, you need to know the love of God. Verses 7 and 8 tell us, right back to this command to love one another, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. <laughs> ouch. I'm going to say ouch ahead of time because I know what's coming. Can I just talk for a minute? Let me think about this. If you're mad at everybody in your world and you're critical of everyone in your world and everyone in your world is doing wrong, I don't care what prayer you prayed, you're not of God. Because God in you causes you to love people. How many of you have had the experience that you've been able to love somebody that wasn't lovable after you'd spent time in the spirit of God? Changes us. Do you love people? Do you care about people? Because those who love know God. So what do we need to know? We need to know the love of God. So let me press that just a little bit further. What does that say about us when, well, God doesn't love me. I don't think he watches out for me. I don't think God's caring for me. You need to back up. You need to know the love of God that is ever present, that isn't affected by your circumstance, that is always reaching to you, and that's manifest in community. It's a lot easier some days for me to love God in my private closet of prayer than it is in the public place of worship. We don't know what you're talking about. We just love everybody. <laughs> God's model is loving. How did God show his love for us? When we were yet sinners. <laughs> now be honest. How many, of, how many of you know? Don't point. But how many of you know someone who's a real pain in your life? The rest of you are lying. How many of you know someone? Yeah, but they're sitting right next to me. No, 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 I'm not asking that. I can't raise my hand. Jesus, that, the model of love isn't loving people who bring you gifts on your birthday. It's loving people who stomped on your birthday gift. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And how do you experience that? Because loving God and knowing the love of God isn't worked out privately, it's worked out in community. You need to know the love of God. And that's why that song, I, I know I quote it a lot, but it just burns in my heart. The love of God, how rich and pure, how marvelous and strong. It's a wonderful, wonderful idea that God loves us. And you say, well, let's know the hatred of the world. No, we need to know the love of God. You need to know the spirit of God, but you need to also know the love of God. That knowing the love of God does not exist in isolation. Knowing the love of God exists in biblical community. And properly discerning the Lord's body is what we're all a part of. And when we're loving one another and interacting with one another in the love of God, you know that anything that violates that isn't from God. Hello? Now, there needs to be discipline and those kinds of things. I get that. But do you love people? Do you, do you love people? Well, this isn't going as well as I thought. <laughs> do you love people? Because if you don't, well, I love God. Not if you don't love people. How many are hearing me right now? That it's proven in community. And what do you bring to the community? I love the sign I saw in a place of business. That everybody brings joy to this place. Some by coming in, others by going out. Which one are you? Are you one that brings joy when you come in? Or relief when you go out? Because love is built and understood in community. And that's manifested in our interactions with one another. Koinonia test of love is in community. You need to know the spirit of God. You need to know the love of God. And then verses 13 to 16, in addition to knowing the love of God... And knowing the Spirit of God, he amplifies that in verses 13 to 16. You need to know the presence of God. You need to know the presence of God. That is something that we need to grow in and develop. Look at verse 13 of chapter 4. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. Now what I said earlier, I mean, every born again believer has the spirit of God alive on the inside of them. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an amping up of power, not a strengthening of your spiritual relationship. That comes at salvation. And so we need to understand what, this, what the presence of God feels like. He needs to go with us and walk with us. Does anybody know what it feels like when you've stepped the wrong way and you just kind of feel God's presence lift a little bit to let you know that that's not the direction you should go, that's not the thing you should have said, that's not the way you should have behaved? We need to learn it not only in the worship service, because granted, why do we create the environment? Let me talk about that. Why do we create the environment we create? People will ask me, why do we turn down the lights? Why do we do this? Why? Because we want, spirit, we want worship to be experiential and we don't want you to focus on people around you, but focus on him. And so let's take this time to create an atmosphere that we can learn what the spirit of God feels like. Because if you can learn what the presence of God feels like in this room, you're going to need that when you're out there outside of the room. We need to know the presence of God. I, 
let me let me just let me illustrate this way. So you can say I can say all kinds of things, but there is an authority that comes on you when the presence of God is in the room. So I'm sitting at a table with this young man yesterday. We're eating our lunch and we're talking about the Holy Spirit and I'm just sharing with him. And I'm talking about him about being ready to receive. And I'm just going to tell you, God moved into that space and said, tell him, tell him he will be speaking in tongues before he gets home. Now, I could tell you that, and it wouldn't mean anything. But when you hear God say that, and his presence is in the place, all of a sudden, all doubt is gone. You have absolute assurance and, and authority that what he is saying will come to pass. And then I did what humans do. I said, but if it doesn't happen, and you know what I felt then? I felt a withdrawing. That's not what I told you to say. Whoops. When you learn the presence of God, it gives you direction that you need in moments to speak. And all I can tell you is we're told to covet to prophesy. To be able to prophesy means that you have an awareness of the presence of God in your life. And we need to know where that is and where that isn't. I, um, <laughs> um, we were in a meeting once and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change the details to protect the guilty. But it was in a Christian so-called service. And on the platform is a choir from another nation. And the men are on the platform bare-chested, wearing a necklace and grass skirts. And they're shaking their skirts around and singing a Christian song. And my little girl, who was three at the time, looked at me and said, Daddy, is this evil? Because she was feeling something that wasn't right. Would to God we had the sensitivity of a child when it comes to the presence of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Learn to know the presence. Learn to respond to the presence. There's a presence of God among us that keeps us safe from deception. It's a corporate dynamic he brings us in verses 15 and 16 with the presence of God back to the love of God. All through this is what is your interaction with the body? What's your interaction with other believers? Because that's going to show what your relationship with God is. And John can't get away from it. He keeps coming back to that, which means koinonia is a place where an awareness of the presence of God will come. Lastly, you need to know the power of God. You need to know the power of God. <laughs> um, verses 17 and 18. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, 
we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, or in the King James, like better, fear as torment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. What's the context? The context is in the day that you stand before God. God doesn't want you to have fear about anything, but primarily not have fear about the day that you will stand before him, and love drives that out. You can look at eternity with confidence because of the love of God. But love always drives out fear. Now, I, I, just, I just need to confess something. Um, a church building, when everyone is gone and the lights are out, is a fearful place. <laughs> so I am, last night, everybody's gone. It's late. I'm doing some things I need to do. I go into the chapel and I turn on the light. And there is a cold wind blowing. And I'm hearing bells that are tinkling in the dark. And the sound system is off. And I'm thinking, there are demons in this place. <laughs> I mean, I'm just waiting for the movie credits to start. Pastor dies in chapel. <laughs> killed by axe murderer. Now, maybe you've never been there, but I have a creative, fertile imagination. <laughs> My daughter says I watch too much CSI, but that's another story. And I just stopped. And of course, the cold one was the air conditioning, but the music was getting to me. That was getting to me. What in the world? And I'm walking, I'm not kidding you, I'm walking around like... Ninja pastor. And I finally figured out that there was a loose vent and something down in that vent that was metal and banging against something else and making this weird sound. And then I felt really foolish because where am I? I'm in the chapel. I am a child of God. I shouldn't be afraid of dying. <laughs> or of what might be happening around me because perfect love, think about that, when you walk in perfect love, it means he's always with you. Wherever you are, he's with you and perfect love drives out fear. And how does that get worked together? Because love, perfect love, is developed in community. And in community, we have confidence. So in those moments, when you feel like God has forsaken you or doesn't love you or doesn't care about you, in community, we can reaffirm that and stand together that he loves us all. And in verse 19, we're told that the greatest part of that is that he loved us first. So love isn't based on your reaction to him. God is always previous. It's called prevenient grace. He went to you first. He loved you first. What would make you think that he would quit loving you now? We need to know the love of, the, and the, we need to know in the love of God that out of that comes the power of God that drives out fear. God's power to cast out fear with the power of love is experienced in community. So spiritual discernment is a fruit of biblical community. 
And here's what, I just want to drive this home to us. In the last days, we're going to need to be able to discern what is of God and what isn't of God. And how are we going to do that? We're going to do it this way. We need to know the spirit of God. We need to know the love of God. We need to know the presence of God. And we need to know the power of God. And all of that is experienced in biblical community. We need one another. There's safety from deception when you stay connected to the body of Christ. So if you're in a place of confusion, a place of fear, a place of struggle, there's strengthening here in the body. But I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here with a focus on the presence of God and knowing the Spirit of God. Half of the message wrapped around that. And just say to you, wouldn't this be a wonderful time, a wonderful Sunday, if you've never spoken in tongues, for you to learn a little bit more about the presence of God and a little bit more about the Spirit of God and enter into that. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm not going to come down and pray for you and spit on you in Jesus' name. I'm just going to say, we're going to worship for a little bit. I want to end just a little bit early so we have a little bit more worship time. And then to say, just receive it. It's that easy. Just receive it. Wouldn't this be a wonderful morning? To just receive it. And while we're worshiping, what's going to happen? (laughs) There's a wind, a breeze of the Spirit in the room. And I'm telling you that when you begin to worship, your mouth will continue to do the talking. But not be afraid to let those other sounds come. Your intellect disconnects so that your spirit can pray. That doesn't mean you're brain dead. It means you quit trying to think about what I'm going to say and let it just flow. It's that easy. Be wonderful if this were a morning that you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking in tongues because we need that to reach a lost and dying world. So let's stand together and we're going to take just a, a little bit of time to worship the Lord. And if you've never spoken in tongues, this would be a great morning for you to experience that, to just let it flow while we worship the Lord together. Your spirit is here.
there's just a lid over the auditorium just a lid and we're kind of afraid to push up against that and 
that tells me that God wants to do something in the room, and I don't want to get in the way of that. But what I do want us to do is, while Pastor Nathan prays or plays, I want every spirit-filled believer to just lift your hands, and you don't have to shout out or be wild. Just begin to pray in the Spirit. And let's just cultivate an atmosphere of the Spirit. And if you need, you've not spoken in tongues for a long time, this is a great time for you to get refreshed. If you never have, this would be a time for you to receive. Just right now, would you lift your hands and just begin to pray in the Spirit? That God would have His way, that He'll do what He wants to do. Just begin to pray in tongues, pray in the Spirit. Magnify the Lord. Use your own language, whatever you need to do to magnify Jesus. He's in the house. He's here, ready to work. He's wanting to touch somebody's life. Receive that right now. He's all over you right now. Just give voice to that. Let that flow out of you right now. Brand new language on somebody right now. I can feel it on somebody right now. Just give voice to that. To the Spirit of God in a new language flowing out of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 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 It is our heart's desire to be people of the Spirit. Lord, it is our heart's desire to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. And I'm asking that you'd create in us a hunger to be fully engaged with what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. And we will thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody in agreement said... All right, you can be seated just for a moment. I'm just going to ask just because I want to. If you haven't spoken in tongues in a long time and haven't had freedom, maybe this morning was the first time in a long time you've spoken in tongues. Would you just testify to that and lift up your hand? If that's you, one over here, two, three, four. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's give praise to God for that. A refreshing of speaking another language. I'm just wondering if there's not someone here this morning that spoke in tongues for the first time. Um, anyone that was the first time for you. I just want to know that I expect that to begin to happen in our worship services. Anyone? Yes, thank you. Anyone else? First time that you spoke in tongues. I want to give just a minute. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Give the Lord a clap of praise, would you? Amen. If you've never spoken in tongues, just find a place to worship and let that flow out of you. Let it be part of the natural part of your Christian devotion. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for your financial support. Uh, those who are giving online, that are giving as you come in, whether you mail it, however you do it. This is a weird time for me, but uh, when it comes to that part of our worship experience, but giving is a part of worship, thank you for your faithfulness to that. And thank you for your commitment to the body of Christ. I am firmly convinced that as we come out out of this COVID pandemic, there's a wave of revival that's going to come to the house of God. And I want to ride that wave. Amen. I want to ride that wave. Amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. Love Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Don't forget to be here Wednesday night. This Wednesday, we're doing our graduation celebration. There'll be free food and a fun time. Let the graduates know that you love them and appreciate them. And let's work really hard over the next couple weeks on loving people. <laughs> Amen. God bless you.